0: Hey Bethany Church, this is Pastor Jordan on scene here in Pakistan where we've been for the last week hosting pastor seminars and getting ready for our outreach. Sure miss and love you. अगले believe में is man the हेलो Yes, sir. Hello. Hello. So I'm asking why don't you sound you Hello. Montana. And I have three beautiful kids, a wonderful wife, a church. I've been pastoring for 20 years. And one of my favorite things to do is study geography. So I've been reading about Pakistan. <laughs> and like Pakistan. And I feel like it's God's time for Pakistan. Amen. And all around me, I see fields ripe for harvest here. So as I was studying about Pakistan, I was studying about Pakistan, I was reading about a, a factory collapse. Hey Amen. Isn't that awesome? You know, I've got a chance to talk with Pastor Jordan a little bit here the uh, the last few, few days as he's been gone, and they are having an amazing time out there. Um, God is really moving. They've had, you saw some of it where he was, uh, leading a pastor's seminar. They expected 700 people, and they ended up with 1,100 people there at the pastor's seminar. Yesterday, he got a chance to talk at the Bible school there in Fazelbad, I believe is how you say it. And then they just got done preaching here uh, this morning, and then it's nighttime over there now, this tonight too. And uh, they're getting ready to fly out here in a little while. But uh, they had an awesome time on the crusade Friday night. Souls were saved, people's lives were changed, healings took place. It was great. So he's excited, he's tired. He's, he's keep praying for him because uh, he's, he's fighting physically. He's fighting, uh, he and Joe both fighting a little bit. We have a sickness, but they're doing great over there. So I just want to say thank you for your heart for the people of Pakistan. We saved up for three years to be able to help provide for this crusade. And it's because of your heart for missions and giving that we get to go see lives changed and brought into the kingdom of God over there. Amen. Amen. All right. We are going to continue and close out the series, uh, the Ties That Bind, this morning. So I get a chance to talk a little bit about relationships. And you know what? I love that picture that we use for the graphic on this. Because relationships are like knots on a net. You know, some knots are tighter than others. You know, some some people are closer to us than others. We can be real and open with those people that are friends. You know, some knots may be a little bit looser. They may be acquaintances and, and people that we work with and and different levels. And you know, relationships play different roles in our lives, just like the knots on the net do. And so we have these different levels, and we've been kind of going through and looking at relationships in our lives. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit about a topic that uh, that is a little challenging. We're going to dig into Exodus 18 this morning. But as we're talking about knots, you know, I can't help but think, we're in this season, we just embarked in this season in our family, where our oldest, Jalen, is learning to tie his shoes. And... Uh, it's an interesting season because, you know, he's doing a good job. He's learning. He's growing. Uh, but he likes to make sure his knots are secure. So he doesn't just double knot his knots. His shoelaces, he triple knots. So that's great for keeping the ties together. The problem is, is when we have to put on the shoes. So he tries to get his shoes on. And he works and, and gets them on, uh, tries to get them on. And then pretty soon you get a, a shoe in your face. Here, Dad, fix this. So we've had to add five more minutes to our get ready time because we've got to dance with triple knotted shoelaces. But he's, he's got secure knots. That's, that's good. So in Exodus 18 here, we see a relationship. And just to set up a little bit about what's going on in Exodus 18, Moses is sitting here just having seen the defeat of the Amalekites, just having seen the crossing of the Red Sea, and the Egyptians' army getting wiped out by the sea collapsing on them. He had just seen the exodus of, uh, that God led him out of Egypt and the ten plagues that God worked. So he's sitting here after all these victories, all these great things that have gone on in his life. And his father-in-law, Jethro, brings Moses' his wife and his two sons and uh, brings them to Moses because he had heard about all the things that God had done. So he comes to celebrate with him. So we're going to look at the relationship here between Jethro and Moses a little bit. So Exodus 18, verse 13. Let's read this real quick. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning to evening. And you thought the lines at the Yellowstone County courthouse were bad. Could you imagine an entire nation having to wait for judgments from one judge? Whew. It continues on. when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, "What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning to evening? And you know what? that's a question I find myself asking every once in a while about our government. what is this you are doing? <laughs> all right, we're gonna we're gonna move on from that. we won't we won't dwell on that. That's not the topic. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his law. That's, that's a pretty good reason, right? But Moses' father-in-law response was this, what you are doing is not good. And with that, let's pray. Lord, we just open our hearts right now to receive your word. Holy Spirit, come, move in this place. Reveal the word of God in our hearts. Empower us to receive your word in our lives. Lord, we thank you for what you're speaking to us this morning. Amen. So we see a relationship here between Moses and his father-in-law, Jethro. And you know what? Sometimes in relationships, we have this thing that we have called correction or confrontation. And we see a little bit of a confrontation here between Moses and Jethro. You know, the title that we're going to look at this morning is Ties That Wound. And as I was looking at this scripture, I was reminded of Psalms 141 verse 5. And that scripture says this, let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let not my head refuse it. I thought this was an amazing description of what's going on here between Jethro and Moses. See, we all have correction or confrontation that we face in our lives. And in this scripture, we see kind of two sides of a coin of correction. You have Jethro, the corrector, the one doing the correcting. You know, sometimes we're in that position in our lives, whether it's in our job, in our family. And then there is the one being corrected, Moses. Two sides of the same coin of correction. And as we face that, sometimes you may be in that correcting season. And sometimes you may be like me where you're kind of operating in both, where you're leading a family and you're being corrected at the same time as you try to lead that family. So we have two different things we're going to look at. So what we want to do is we first want to look at Jethro. And there's a couple things that we can see from Jethro on how to correct Jethro. People, And the first thing we've got to do is we have to assess the platform. Assess the platform. What is that? It's assessing the platform we have to speak into somebody's life. It's assessing the relationship we have with somebody. You see, Jethro just didn't come out of the blue, out of wherever he was living in the wilderness and come to Moses. They had history together. And you can see the nature of their relationship over in verse 7 when we look at how Moses greeted Jethro. It says he bowed down before him and he gave him a kiss. There was honor, there was respect, and there was affection there in that relationship. And that just didn't happen. He wasn't just doing it because it was custom. If you look at the life of Moses, he had spent 40 years serving this guy. He had spent 40 years following his sheep. There was a relationship that had been developed, and there was a platform created in Moses' life for Jethro to be able to, to speak. Now, I have to admit something. I I find cat videos online funny. Um, that is, my wife gets a kick at how much I laugh at certain cat videos. But you know why I laugh at cat videos? Because cats are so arrogant that when they do something stupid, it is so funny because they act like they have everything put together. You know i don't I don't get as much out of dog videos because dogs are just dumb in general. I mean they just that's how they act, that's how they do it. And I'm sorry if I've offended all the crowd here today, but that's just the way I see it. So, as I watch cat videos, have you ever seen a cat try to jump off of something and they don't get anywhere? That cat crouches down. It's like he's on the edge of a chair, right? He's getting all ready. He's getting all prepared. He's going to make this graceful, magnificent jump. And he goes to jump, and that chair kicks out from under him, and he goes and goes nowhere, right onto the floor, <laughs> right? I, I, I kind of roll at that. That's, it, it makes me laugh. That cat lost its platform to launch on. And sometimes when we bring communication or correction in a relationship and we don't have the platform in that relationship to speak, that's what our communication does is just go right on the floor, falls flat right on the floor. You know, I noticed this in my own life. When I spend time with my sons, when we're playing basketball, we're wrestling, you know, they're jumping off the top rope onto me, laying on the floor, and we're engaging, we're laughing, we're having fun. When time of correction comes... I have a platform to speak in their life. The correction, it's not that I don't already. I'm their father. The Bible says I have a responsibility to train up my child in the way he should go. But when I have engaged in the relationship, when I have invested and cultivated that relationship, I have effective correction when I speak. If I'm absent, and I'm busy with the ministry and whatever's going on, and I have those times where I'm not able to develop the relationship like I want to or should, the correction doesn't, isn't as effective. It falls flat. So, the first thing we got to do when we're correcting is we have to assess our platform. The second thing that we do is we discern the situation. Jethro discerned what was going on. You know, he didn't just sit back and observe, which is what we have to do, is we have to observe what's going on, and he sees half the nation standing around Moses waiting to hear their case. He also asked a question. You know, this is something that was difficult in my life to learn, is you don't just go into correction, guns blazing, right? You have to ask a question. You have to find out what happens when you ask a question is you open the person's heart up. They're able to express, and you're able to see what they're thinking and what's going on. Jethro asks him a question. He observes. He asks a question. But then he had spiritual insight to speak into the situation. He didn't just end with where we ended the scripture. He didn't say, what you're doing is not good. Stop it. No, he gave spiritual insight, and he spoke into what the future would be if they continued on the path that they were going on. He spoke that you're going to wear out what's and your people are going to wear out. See, discernment sees by the eyes of the Spirit on what's going to happen. You know what discernment is not? Discernment is not judgment. That is something we like to twist, not intentionally, but it's something we like to twist in our Christian culture. Oftentimes we'll operate out of judgment instead of discernment. What is judgment? You know, it's taking this outside look, at a situation and circumstance, projecting our opinions on it without really seeing what's going on. And oftentimes, that judgment is dismissive. This is something that I have dealt with a lot in my life. And you know what? By God's grace, I'm still dealing with. You would, the dismissive attitude is an attitude of condemnation. See, discernment comes from an attitude to build up in love, Uh, judgment responds in condemnation. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 7. See, in Matthew 7, he commands us not to judge. But then he gives a picture. He says, you've got a plank in your own eye. And you're trying to deal with a speck in somebody else's eye. Deal with the plank in your own eye. Because you know what happens? We project the plank on the person we're trying to correct the issues that we're dealing with, the judgments, the attitudes that we have in our heart, we're projecting on the person we're trying to correct. So we've got a responsibility as a corrector to go to the Father and make sure we're clean, our eyesight is clean. We're not operating out of our opinions and perspective, but we're operating with his heart towards that person because without his heart towards that person, we cannot do the delicate surgery on a delicate Oregon. The eye is a delicate... You ever had someone try to dig in your eye? That is not fun. I remember as a kid, I had a uh, wood chip in my eye when we were camping, and my dad was trying to do it with a a, a napkin, trying to get it out. And then Charlie Weatherington, who's an EMT, I remember he had a Q-tip, and that Q-tip felt a whole lot better than that napkin, I can tell you that. My dad was doing his best. He was doing his best, but that Q-tip was a lot better because you have the ability to speak into a delicate situation when you have the heart of the Father that you're communicating with, right? The next thing that we see here, oh, you know what? I got another example on that. That one just came on the fly, so that one's free for you guys, <laughs> that example. <laughs> we talk about judgment. You know, I like how Jesus said it was a plank in your eye. You know what? I pulled some two-by-tens out of my eyes. I've had a lot of struggle with judgment. I remember one situation that we had here at the church. There was a young man who wanted to meet with Pastor Jordan and I about his finances. And so Pastor Jordan calls me into this meeting. I didn't know, you know, that we were going to have this meeting, but I had discussed with this guy a little bit, and I had an idea of his attitude and, and how he was approaching money. And so he begins to tell his story, and he begins to talk about where he's at and what's going on in his life. And they turned to me and asked me, well, what do you think? And you know what? I was loaded for bear. And I let him have it. You got this issue. You're spending too much on this. You're doing, I just went to town with my own opinions, with my own perspective, with my judgment of his situation. And you know what? That went from a one to a 10 really quick. I have never been in a situation. I used to work with linemen. Linemen can have hot heads. That, I have never been in a situation where somebody wanted to fight me that quick in the middle of, the, uh, of it, and for good reason. You know what? I did not handle that to, with God's grace and the perspective of his love. What I did was go after the guy in my judgment. God has been working on me with that. And you know what? Everything we're talking about here this morning, just to put this out here, God's dealing with me on. This is not something that I've figured out. It's something that he's working with me through. We're always in this process of refining and growing. So um, I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody else here today. So the third thing we see as a corrector, someone who brings correction, is that we have to seek to build up. We must seek to build the person up. What did I do in that situation? I sought to bring destruction. I sought to tear this brother down. That is not God's heart. But who, so so when you think about destruction, that just, that just caught me here for a second. When you think about destruction, who is the destroyer? When you flow with judgment, you're actually operating with the enemy. Because Jesus said Satan steals, kills, and destroys. But his heart is to build up. I like what Hebrews uh, chapter 12 says in verse 11. It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful. Yeah, you think? Rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God's whole purpose in correcting us is to yield fruit for us to grow for our betterment. When he corrects us, and when he corrects us through people, it's to build us up. It's for us to grow. You know, it's interesting here. I caught something as I was looking at this particular situation with Jethro. God had been speaking to Moses this whole journey on. From the burning bush on, God had been speaking directly to Moses. Why all of a sudden did he use Jethro in this situation? Well, that's God's sovereignty. But you know what? That sometimes we have to listen to the people in our lives because God is working through them and it's and it's working in them too so think about this from the corrector position we're having our hearts refined to make sure that we are building up and correcting from the heart of the father you know the other thing i like in this in this situation is that uh jethro didn't just bring correction he brought a way forward so he didn't just say what you're doing is not good stop and leave he offered a solution see what jethro offered here was to tear the judgment right so he wanted judges for a thousand judges for hundreds judges for tens he created this judicial system and structure jethro had to have the father's heart because jethro right here is speaking to the entire structure of his people the nation god wouldn't allow that to happen if he hadn't had his heart and the best for the nation at, at his heart. So he releases and he speaks this this structure. You know what's amazing about what Jethro said? Is that this is how our judicial system was founded in America. This is how church structure and government uh, in many, many churches is set up with the tiers of of judgment and the spread of leadership across a group of people who can operate in character and operate with wisdom. So Jethro brings in this advice, but for why? To keep Moses and the people from burning out. It was for their good. So he spoke this uh, this wisdom into the situation, this solution into what's going on. You know, I like this example of fruit because when I think about fruit, I think about pruning, especially when it comes to correction. So the picture of pruning is what? You have a tree, you have a bush that's producing. And what pruning does is it comes in and it chops off. It doesn't just chop off the dead things, you know, the things that are maybe sucking life from the plant, but it chops off the good to produce the great. And see, when God works in our lives and brings correction through people, it's maybe challenging to see. It may look like destruction, but what he has in mind is for the most fruit to be produced in their life. So when we come into that perspective of correcting someone, we come in with what is God saying to, to deal with so that the most fruit can be produced in their life. All right, so that's Jethro. We've seen, we've seen the side of the coin of Jethro. Let's jump to Moses here. And this, unfortunately, is, is where I live more, more at than I do on the other side of things. I'm, I'm usually dealing with some type of correction in my life. And the first thing we have to do when we're being corrected or confronted with something is we have to check our attitude. Check our attitude. And you know what? This is kind of a multifaceted thing because the first thing we do when someone comes at us with correction is we have to humble ourselves. And that's not an easy thing. When somebody comes with correction, you know what our natural instinct is? To defend ourselves, to respond, to react. What I've learned in humbling myself in that moment of correction is you got to shut your mouth and open your ears. Shut your mouth, open your ears. You know, this was not an easy lesson to learn because what, when you respond in defensiveness, what's really going on is it's a reaction of pride. Right? I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to respond. And if we take it another step further, that pride is really insecurity. I don't like the fact that you're saying something's wrong with me. I don't want to deal with this. I remember one time Pastor Jordan and I, we went out to Seattle. And on the flight home, we had to have a little bit of a discussion. Uh, There was some stuff going on in the staff, and he needed to address some things with me. I was livid. I was... I felt like I was being attacked. I was not happy. I defended myself. I responded, reacted. And then, you know what? I tried to engage in the first part of that. I shut my mouth. But the problem is is that you can shut your mouth and not open your ears, and it is still operating in pride and insecurity. (laughs) That's what I did. Shut my mouth, and I shut him out. See? See? I was operating in pride and insecurity. You know what it also does when you operate in pride and insecurity? It opens you up the door for you to play the victim in the situation. I felt like I was being attacked. No, God was working on something in my heart and this needed to be dealt with. So you gotta humble yourself. The second thing that happens after we humble ourselves is we have to view it as kindness. You remember what Psalms 141 said? It said, uh, let the righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. The correction is actually kindness to us. You know, my response began to change when I began to see, no, I can trust their words. The people who are correcting me in my life, I can trust their words because they have my best interest in mind. Because they love me. They're expressing the love of God towards me. You know what this is, is? This is a perspective shift. All of a sudden, the correction moves from an attack of defensiveness. When you humble yourself, it turns into kindness, and you begin to see the faithfulness of, the wor- of their words. I love what Proverbs uh, 27, verse 6 says. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are their wounds. You know, I also like in Proverbs 27, and this is the whole reason why people correct us, why God uses people to correct us. is because in Psalm or Proverbs 27, 17, it says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And you know, in the Hebrew, the way this is constructed, it actually uses this picture to uh, sharpen the face or the countenance of someone. So what does that mean? That means when you have interactions within your relationships, They are sharpening your personality and your character. God brings correction in our hearts to sharpen who we are and our character. Now, this has been something that God has been working a lot in my life on. And I remember back when Jessica and I were dating. And I could always tell when Jessica Jessica would be talking to Amanda. Because um, Amanda's husband, Pastor David, he would... Uh, We used to work together selling power lines, right? And so Pastor David would come to my desk and say, hey, let's go to lunch. Sure, that sounds good. Let's go to lunch. Well, usually, and I'm a quick learner, so it didn't take long, (laughs) just three or four times, for him to take me out to lunch to realize this meant the hammer was going to drop and you need to correct some things in your life. He was going to address some stuff in my life that my, my now wife had been talking to others about that I needed to deal with in our situation. So it became, let's go to lunch. Uh, are you sure? No, I am. I'm good. You know, I brought my lunch today. No, I'm good. But as I would walk through the correction and as I would um, walk through this, I realized the only reason why he talked to me about this stuff was because he loved me. He cared about me. He was responding in kindness. And see, what that produced in my life was a valuing of correction. So we move from humbling to seeing it as kindness, a perspective shift, to valuing it. I love what Proverbs said again. Proverbs is just chock full of stuff with relationships. But Proverbs 25, 12 says, like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. It is valuable. It is so valuable. And I began to see what David was addressing in my life, how it was affecting my relationship with Jessica and what it was doing for me. Now, my response isn't to run away from it. No, I'm good. I got lunch. I'm good. No, I run towards it now. I run after it. It's like lifting weights. When you first start lifting weights, it hurts. Especially when your life does typewriter on your chest after you've done a heavy lifting day and poking prod not your chest. It's not fun. But you know what happens? the more and more you rip apart your muscles and you allow them to build up. You rip them apart and you build them up as they begin to grow and get stronger. And you begin to feel the effects of that correction in your body. You begin to feel the effects of that work in your body and all of a sudden you begin to crave it. You begin to desire the work of that working out within your body. That's the same thing with correction. You begin to crave his correction because you know the character that he is producing is righteousness in your life. I actually went through a situation here this last fall where I had to run to those, those people who speak into my life. It was a confusing season. A bunch of things were shifting and changing in, in my personal life, in the ministry. But I ran to those people that I knew I could receive the proper perspective from, and I got correction from. And you know what I had to deal with in that season? I was, I was completely missing. I thought I knew exactly what the Lord was doing in the midst of this season this last fall. And it came out, and I realized that I was in pride. I was not listening to the Lord at all. I was operating in pride. I had completely missed him on these things. And I had to go through a humbling season. But I knew that there was people like Pastor David I could go run to, that I would get a perspective and a correction to see the picture clearly. They would bring that into my life. So the second thing we got to do as the one being corrected we check our attitudes, then we take action. Moses in verse 24 said this, or it says this about Moses in verse 24. He listened to the voice of his father in law and did all that he had said. It's one thing to listen. Remember, you can open your, or you can shut your mouth, but not listen. It's one thing to listen. But he did, he took action. And the first step in taking action in our life when we're being corrected is to repent. Repent simply means that we change our mind about what's going on. When we see the situation for how God is seeing it, when he reveals to us the correction, the next, we change our mind and we turn our ways of where we're going. That's the first step. The next step, I cannot take credit for. So I was having a conversation with a buddy of mine this week. And I was asking him about, okay, what does it look like for you to take action on the things that you need to deal with in your life? And as, as we were talking about this, he made this statement. And he said, you fake it till you make it. What? <laughs> you fake it till you make it. Well, as we were talking, I kind of got a little bit more of what he was saying. That means you set structure around yourself to carry out the, the change that you want to see. Basically, it's this. You put an external structure around yourself. You make decisions that are going to allow you to operate in the change you need to to internalize the change that needs to happen inside. For him, in the situation that he was talking about in his personal life, he he got an app that would help remind him to do certain things that he needed to take care of, and he created this external structure. You know what it looks like in our family? It's, it's disciplining our children. We have this external structure of, if you do this, you will have a consequence. So Samuel, if you punch your brother when you're angry, you are going to get a spanking. That's the structure that is set up. So why? Because we have a value that we treat each other the way we want to be treated. We have a value that we love our brother as like we love ourselves, Right? So that's the value we're trying to teach. So we create the structure of discipline surrounding this. So when Samuel punches Jalen in anger, he knows what's coming. And that external structure creates an internal value within himself to operate in that love. So to set up this structure, first of all, you got to have a plan. You have to have the plan for what you want to do. What does this look like? Setting up an app like like, uh, my buddy was talking about. What steps do you need to take? to be able to execute the correction that's coming in your life. The second thing is you got to have consistency. You have to do it consistently. It has to be something that you do all the time, consistent. And the third thing is it's accountability. You have somebody that you can talk to about that situation or those circumstances that you're going through that you're trying to change. Who can you reach out to? Who can you talk to when you're having good days and when you're having bad days with it? It's key to rely on the relationships around us to see that change take place in our hearts. You know, this, uh, this buddy of mine, I've walked with this guy through a lot of different things. Uh, we've known each other for a long time, and I cannot tell you how proud I am of him because I've watched him execute this in many different areas in his life. He engages in that change. He brings accountability into his life, and he begins to execute it and walk through it. And the man that he is today was not the man he started out as. And I am so proud of how God work on his character and who he is. So the third thing we look at real quick, as one who gets corrected, as we manifest Destiny. That's what happens after we take action, is we manifest destiny. Now, this is not colonizing, nor is it acquiring territories in the Pacific. No, this is manifesting God's destiny, who he called you to be. You see, when we walk through this process of having our personality and our character refined by him in correction, we are then able to step in a greater level into his will that he has for us. Because he's not going to allow us to go into that destiny if we do not have the character to sustain us within that destiny. How we approach correction will determine where we go in his will. If we have an attitude that resists correction and resists the refinement of his character, we will not go very far in his will. Because think about this. What would happen if Moses didn't receive this correction? Okay, so he so he continues on the way he's going. The structure collapsed for the nation. He burns out. What could happen? Would the people of Israel make it? Would there be a future for the next generation? Would Joshua have ever been raised up? Would he have ever led them into the promised land? See, how we handle correction affects not just us but those relationships around us so if i had not handled those conversations with david properly our relationship wouldn't would not be where it's at between me my wife and i and if our relationship isn't what it is we wouldn't have created the home that we have and the environment for our family that we now have that they are raised that they can raise their children in in the future see our approach to correction affects not just our relationships around us; it affects the next generation the generations after us so we have a responsibility to humble ourselves in correction and receive what god's talking to us about you know as i was thinking about this there's a there's a movie from my high school days that uh that came back to me. You all remember Remember the Titans? Do you guys remember that movie? So I, uh, I enjoyed that movie as growing up in high school. But Remember the Titans is about this football team in Virginia in the days of integration. And what happens to this football team, high school football team, is that a black coach comes on and begins to lead this team. And he's got a mess because he's got a deal which begins to do as he begins the season, his team and the issues that they're facing. So what this coach begins to do as he begins the season is he begins to speak correction into the character of the young men on that football team. He begins to speak and lead what the change that needs to happen in their lives. And as he begins to speak, the team begins to listen. See, there's two sides of this coin their responses, they begin to listen and they begin to implement. And as they begin to implement the corrections that they've needed in their own lifestyle, they begin to gel as a team. They begin to have success. And you know what ends up happening at the end of the story is that they win the state championship. Now that's the movie. How close it is to real life, I don't know, is based on a true story. But what came to my mind is that the coach had to correct the issues of character within the team the team had to deal with the issues of character within their lives to accomplish the purpose and the goal that they wanted to accomplish. For us to accomplish his purpose, we have to heed correction, listen to it, and obey. But you know what happens? We don't ever, we don't ever fulfill our destiny without first having a relationship with Jesus. This is the only way. So at this moment, I would ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. Because maybe you're sitting in this place and you haven't surrendered your life completely to Jesus. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. He knows the thoughts that he thinks towards you. He loves you. He has planned from the foundations of the earth what he wanted you to do. And it's all based in the love. He, drew, he went to the cross, offered up his life, spilled his entire blood so that he could have you. So this morning, if you have never made Jesus your Lord and your Savior, surrendered your life completely to make him your Lord, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. If you want to surrender your life completely to Jesus, raise your hand right now. see those hands praise god if everyone would just follow after me and pray in this prayer jesus i give you my life i surrender my all i believe you're the son of god i believe that you died for my sins and that you rose again to set me free jesus I surrender my life to you right now. You are my Lord and Savior. Amen. Man, we're so excited. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we're so excited for you. Because now he's adopted you. You can fill the plan and the destiny he has for your life. You're a part of the family. He's adopted you. You can know the love of God within your life. If everybody would stand up with me, we're gonna close out here for just a moment. But as you're standing up, I want to ask you a question: What's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Where are you at in this journey? Where, what season of life are you in? Maybe you're the corrector or the corrected or or both, like me. What did the Holy Spirit say? Is he is he talking to you about the relationships you need to invest in? Is he talking to you about uh, about receiving? his correction, that he's speaking through other people. Maybe somebody has been saying some things in your life that you need to make some changes and you've been ignoring it. Maybe now's the moment to take an action and begin that change. Wherever you're at, Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, speak to us. You know, this week I had to deal with judgments in my own heart. I was approaching a situation based on a judgment that was not right, it was sin. Lord, whatever you're speaking towards, Lord, if we're carrying attitudes in our hearts, we release them to you right now. Purify and cleanse us, Lord. We thank you for your freedom. Holy Spirit, empower us to walk out your truth this morning. Amen. Look, if you have anything you want to pray about, whether it's what the Lord's saying to you this morning, whether you're facing a situation, if there's something going on in your life, we want to pray with you. I want to invite the prayer team down. We want to pray no matter what's going on. It doesn't have to be directed about this service because we believe prayer is powerful and God moves in prayer. So prayer team, come on down. You all are dismissed. We love you. We appreciate you. Next week, we got team Challenge. They're going to be out. We'll see you guys next week.